Welcome to the Radiant Visalia podcast. Join us at one of our two services, 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. Download the Church Center app or visit our website, radiantvisalia.com, to stay connected with us. All right, enjoy. morning. What an incredible week we had this last week as a church. Uh, for those that uh, hope, hopefully many of you were able to participate in some degree with a, a visit we had from Terry Virgo and the whole New Frontiers posse that was here with us, uh, helping shape us and speaking into our lives. But it was, it's crazy to even think that all happened in last week because it just seemed like it was a lot but uh, I want to encourage you right now, if you're like me, like I, I got to be a part of all of it, and uh, you know, it's, you get to a point where it's like, it's like turkey dinner. It's like it's overflowing, I, and there's still good stuff there. I don't want to leave it, and so I'm going to eat it, but I'm going to regret it later. And uh, here we are today wanting to open up our hearts to freshly hear from the Lord, and I want to invite you to take an opportunity to just kind of have a spiritual belch if you can all right there's a lot that's been poured out in our church family in this last week and already a lot of things this morning you know just some of the words that came forth and yet God has more that he wants to do so I want to just invite you to make room in your heart to receive from him make room to receive from him as a church right now we are teaching through our mission statement and I had it uh uh, there we go. Okay. And uh, this is on the front of your bulletins. I invite you to kind of take a glance at it if you'd like to. Um, we're teaching through this right now and using these times uh, during this fall as an opportunity to really build harmony and unity as a church family. Um, we have the blessing of not only having a lot of things going on in our lives, but we have the blessing of coming together as a family during these days, a couple of churches and others that are joining in in this process, and we really believe that this is not just opportunity to teach through some good things, but this is an opportunity for us to, in some degree, get onto the same page, to embrace together a work that God is doing. And uh, I'm excited about God doing that. I'm blessed and excited about God doing that. Take a look around you. Look around at the people around you and see how different some of these folks look. Man, we've got some different people in here. Look around at the people. I'm serious. I want you to look around a little bit. Look at the people around. You know, we got old and young. We got people with no hair. You know, we got people like, had to happen to sit on drums and hold guitars a lot, but have lots of hair. You know, um, we have all colors of hair. We have all colors of people. And that's one of the joys of being in a family is diversity. And it's one of the things that I believe really brings joy to the heart of God. You know, heaven is going to be really awesome because heaven is going to be filled with all kinds of diversity. And it's going to be beautiful. And that's one of the joys we get to experience in a family setting. But you know what? There's something else that's important for us to experience in a family setting. Not only enjoying the diversity and how different we are in some things, but to also be common 
in some things. And that's, re- that's the reason we're teaching through some of the things we're teaching uh, right in this time. To be able to say, you know what, in the midst of all the diversity, it's not just about everybody doing their own thing. There are some things that we are committing to that we understand that God has given us to as a family that we're going to say, we're going to keep these things important. We're going to keep these things of high value, and Jesus being central is at the very heart of that. So let's look at this vision statement. Beholding Jesus, putting His brilliance on display. Isn't that awesome? Beholding just means to face Jesus, to look at Him, to take Him in. And that really is, that, that is what we're doing. We're wanting to be focused on Jesus, take Him in. And putting His brilliance on display by living lives that are obedient to the Word of God, surrendered to the Spirit of God, and devoted to the mission of God. So that the lost are found, the prodigals return home, disciples are made, and churches are planted. You know, in the midst of this simple vision statement, we have the what. The what of this is that we are looking to behold Jesus. That's what we're trying to do. We want to behold Jesus. That's the what. We want to behold Him. We want to be focused on Him. We want to follow Him. We want His ideas to be in our hearts and our ideas. We want His passions to live in us. The bottom of the statement tells about the why. Why are we doing this? Because we really want to see people that are lost be saved. We really want to see prodigals come home. Those that have been hurt in the church have been wounded in some point We want to see Him running back home to the heart of the Father. We want to see disciples made. Which basically means, you know, when you accept Jesus, you come into the kingdom as a baby Christian, our hopes are that we don't just stay baby Christians for the rest of our lives until we go to heaven. But that we're growing. We're coming to understand Him. We're coming to know Him better. And we're coming to look like Him more. That's what a disciple is. And we're wanting to see churches planted. We're wanting to see what God is doing among us be planted and distributed elsewhere. Don't just think of places like Africa and Tanzania. Think of those. But you know what? Think of places around here. Think of Erosi. Think of Cutler. Think of Tulare. Think of Exeter. Think of Farmersville. We want to see God plant His work in many places. So that's why we're doing some of these things. That's why we're doing this. The last part of this vision statement is the how. How's that going to happen? And that's the middle. It's going to happen as we give ourselves to being obedient to God. Obedient to His Word. As we give ourselves to surrendering to the Holy Spirit. As we give ourselves to being devoted to the very mission of God. To seeing the kingdom extended. That's how we're going to see all this happen. That's how it's going to happen. Well, today we're going to talk about that middle section. This morning we're going to talk about welcoming and receiving the Holy Spirit in our lives. And as we begin to work through this area of being surrendered to the Spirit of God, we're probably going to spend two or three weeks uh, in this general topic area, and today we're getting started in it. Receiving and welcoming the Holy Spirit in our lives. Jesus, as He spent time with the disciples, He taught at length about the Holy Spirit. And not only did he teach about the Holy Spirit, but you know what? He also demonstrated what it is to live a surrendered life. You know, sometimes we think, at least I used to, I used to think, man, if you really are going to live a surrendered life to the Spirit, you're going to be kind of wacky. You're going to be kind of wacky and uh, 
like you might end up holding snakes. And I used to think that. And if you want to see what it looks like to live a surrendered life to the Spirit of God, read the Gospels. And it might look a little unusual. You might find yourself walking across the sea sometime. You might find yourself laying hands on people that you're feeling like, I shouldn't be touching this person. They may not be a leper, but they may be something like that in our culture. Because Jesus, led of the Holy Spirit, did all kinds of crazy things. But I can look at Jesus and say, you know what? I like that. That's what it looks like to be surrendered to the Holy Spirit. I like that. I want that in my life. Well, Jesus taught the disciples quite a bit about the Holy Spirit. And I, all through the Gospels, it talks about that. But I want to jump to one place. I want to jump there. And you don't have to turn here because I, I'm going to go through it really quickly. But I want to encourage you to read in one sitting sometime, John 13 through 16. John 13 through 16 is a one conversation experience that Jesus had with the disciples. And it's just before he's about to head to the cross. And John 13, it starts off with this process. And John, and John 13, if you look at it, John, uh, Jesus sits down with the disciples and the first thing he does is washes their feet. Okay, this is the night before Jesus goes to face the cross. And he gathers this group of, this ragtag group of disciples together and he washes their feet. Then he sets out a table for them. And he institutes what we call communion or the Lord's Supper. Uh, the Lord's table, whatever terminology you want to use. And by the way, that is something we are committed to in this church family. Sorry, we haven't done it in a while. We're trying to figure out logistically with just how squeezed we are, how we do this without it taking 45 minutes and without creating a traffic jam. And uh, we're going to be creative. We're going to look for some ways. And when we get moved to our other building, it's going to be a little easier for us to share the table of the Lord. But in John 13, Jesus begins this institutes this meal, and then he does something crazy. He turns to him and he says, by the way, guys, he kind of taps on the shoulder, by the way, I'm getting ready to leave. I'm leaving. And they're, well, where do you got to go? He said, no, I'm leaving you. I'm leaving you. So this is kind of a good night dinner. And they're thinking this is the beginning of all this kingdom coming. And he says, I'm leaving now. And Peter starts to argue with them. You can, you can imagine that all the disciples are pretty disappointed. They're going like, what? You, we're just getting started here in Jerusalem. What do you mean you're leaving? We've been waiting for this. And he says, I'm leaving. And Peter starts arguing and say, don't, nope. Wherever you go, I'm going, Jesus. Remember Peter saying that? And Jesus says, you don't even know what you're saying. You don't even know what you're saying. Well, you get on to John 14 and Jesus starts and these guys, you can just see the sad looks on their faces. They're sitting around this table with probably a piece of unleavened bread in their hand and maybe a little bit of wine dripping off their, their lip. They're probably like, he's leaving? And he says this, John 14, 1. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't worry. Trust in God. Trust also in me. I'm going someplace that you can't come but when I go, I'm going to make room for you. In my father's house, there's a lot of rooms. And I can imagine that these disciples, they're going, my father's house, there's a lot of rooms. Is he talking about Joseph? Is he talking about going back to Nazareth? We've seen that guy's house. He doesn't have a lot of rooms. What's he? You, know, you can imagine these disciples are wrestling. And he says, don't worry, don't be troubled. And then he says an awesome thing. He says, when I go, I'm going to send you a special counselor. You don't know him yet. 
But when I go, I'm going to send you a counselor. And he's going to lead you into every truth that you don't understand right now. And he's going to tell you all about me. He's going to come from the Father. And he's going to be with you forever. He's the Spirit of truth. Then we get into John 15, and you're familiar with that, most of us. You know, Jesus says, I'm the vine. My Father's the vine dresser. You're the branches. You stay connected to me as the vine. You abide in me. You remain in me. You stay connected, and you're going to have life. You're going to have fruit in your life. And they're probably kind of going, okay, yeah, we kind of like that, but what didn't you say you were leaving? And then he goes on again right after this conversation about the branches, and he says, there's a Holy Spirit that's coming. My Father is going to send Him. There's a Counselor that's coming. He's going to speak to you about me. He's going to show you things about me. And this is going on in this conversation, and I want us to land on chapter 16, verse 7, because this is crazy. In John chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus says something that I kind of think, do we really honestly believe what Jesus says? It says in John 16, 7, I tell you the truth, it's going to be a better thing for you that I leave and go away now. Because unless I go away, this counselor, this Holy Spirit will not be sent to you. But when I go away, I'll send him. Now, can you imagine these disciples sitting with Jesus? The one that they have seen raise the dead. The one that they have seen heal lepers. The one that they have seen stand on a hillside and groups of thousands come and want to learn of God. And he says, you know what? It's a better thing for you that I'm getting out of here. I'm leaving. Think about it. It's a better thing for you. He means it. He's not pulling their leg. He's not just saying something so that they can, it'll be an easier goodbye. He's saying the truth. It's better for you that I get out of here because when I get out of here, I can send you the Holy Spirit. And He can be with you forever. So what that means is that means, see, if we just had Jesus here only, and we could have Him come and stay with us this morning, we could have an awesome time of celebration and hearing from Him, and then guess what happens when we go home? He's going to go with one of us, but He's not going to go with all of us. He wouldn't go with all of us. When we are here gathered in the name of Jesus, and His Holy Spirit is in our midst, guess what? We have the Spirit of Jesus here in our midst. And when we go home from here, guess who goes with you? The Spirit of Jesus goes with you. The Spirit of God goes with you. Jesus was serious when he said, it's better that I go and give you the Holy Spirit. And Father, as we would open your word together, and as a church family, as we would look at this huge area of being surrendered to your Holy Spirit, God, I pray that you'd give us eyes and hearts to hear you and to understand you. Father, I pray that you would still all the other things, the competing ideas and thoughts for our attention, and that you would give us single eyes and single hearts right now to simply hear you in spirit of God. Thank you that you are here in our midst and you are the spirit of truth. And so we ask you to lead us to understand even this word that you have given us, the word of God, because you are the author so lead us, give us understanding in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first thing I'd like to do is I'd like to share with you a little bit about my journey with the Holy Spirit. 
I was raised in a traditional denominational type church, uh, and it, honestly, is that it was the First Baptist Church of Fresno, and uh, um, met my wife there uh, eventually. But I started going there when I was like in junior high. Came to know the Lord, accepted Jesus as my Savior, and uh, had a um, a serious relationship with God. I did. I had a serious relationship with God. I wasn't just going through the motions at that time. Um, I was. I really loved God and had a serious relationship with Him. But I was raised in a church that they're kind of what they did is they they really loved the Scriptures. They loved the Bible and uh, taught me to love the Bible as well. And I've loved the Word of God. And I know that was something that was placed in me by this church family, and I'm grateful for it. But they also um, the leadership at the time when I was in junior high and high school. Uh, for whatever reasons, they were very anti-Holy Spirit. And so as I was in these formative years as a new Christian growing, I never heard anything about the Holy Spirit. There was a Holy Ghost, and we were pretty much told in our church that anything having to do with the Holy Spirit was of the devil, and you'd go to hell if you participated in it. And whatever reason, I believed it. I was being told that. And so here I was in a church that loved the Scriptures, and despise the Holy Spirit. Talk about weird, huh? How do those things fit together? Talk about oxymoron. That's like the opposite of what should ever happen. But that is what happened. And uh, because of my love for God, I found myself trying to be a good Christian young man. And we had a lot of church services there. We had Sunday school before church, and we had church on Sunday. We had Sunday night service. There was Tuesday night outreach and Wednesday night Bible study, and I was at everything almost every week, and pretty, pretty disciplined about it. I also read my Bible a lot. I was loving the Word, read my Bible, I prayed a lot, I witnessed, I did a lot of things, so I was very busy and active. Um, but I was also really driven, and there was some big gap in my life that I couldn't explain because I'm a guy, so how do guys explain the gaps in your lives, you know? Women seem to have all the words for those things. It's just, we kind of go like, you know, and we kind of go on. Well, in my freshman year in college, I was working at a clothing store, and I loved sharing my faith. And uh, started sharing my, sharing my testimony with a guy that was working there, and he goes, well, I'm a Christian too. And I said, you are, really? I said, great. And then he turned to me and says, uh, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? I said, heck no. <laughs> and uh, he said, if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to hell. And I promptly gave him what I had been told. I said, if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to hell. Think about that one. How stupid is that, huh? Uh, they're, both, they're both stupid, but mine was more stupid. How's that? Well, and, I, uh, and it didn't turn into a fist fight or anything. I was pretty convinced that he was really in the wrong. So I went home and after work pulled out my Bible, and I was going to just check and reference those verses that told this guy the next day that I could share with him that he was going to hell because of his relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I read, and I read, and I looked in concordances, and I pulled out different Bibles. I even looked in a living Bible. I did everything I could do, and you know what happened. I couldn't find the doggone verse that said, you're going to hell for being filled with the Holy Spirit. And... Um, it began about a six-month spiritual storm in my life 
as I began to realize that many of the doctrines and things that I held to as dear and I believed were the truth, I believed they were in here, I realized unless I saw it, I was standing on shaky ground. And, and I want to just tell you, I'm not quick to change my mind about things, so it's not like that next day I'm going, oh man, I see something different, I'm sorry. No, no, huh. I was, I was fighting with God about it, trying to convince him that he needed to show me where these things were for quite a while. It was about a six-month journey, but eventually at the end of that journey, um, because I believed the Word of God more than I believed my ideas, ultimately I was going to stake it on the Bible and the Word of God. Because of that, I came to a place where I said, God, I don't really get this, and I kind of don't like it at all, but... If this stuff in here is what you want to do in my life, I want to be open. I don't even think I said I'm open. I think I said, I want to be open. Will you help me? And that prayer began what would be an encounter with God in a fresh way that I have been able to experience that has absolutely transformed my life. And uh, I'm very grateful for that guy, Gary. I don't remember names, so that I remember this dude's name. Uh, I'm grateful that God had him in my pathway to stir up something in me that he wanted to get to. Now, I do want to tell you that my story is a little different than Terry Virgo's. Terry Virgo had a very similar story. He was raised in a Baptist church, didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit, got filled with the Holy Spirit, and released in spiritual gifts, came to his pastor. His pastor said, wow, that is really odd. Never heard of it. That's cool. Let's talk about it. Well, that wasn't exactly our scenario. I got filled with the Spirit and freed up in the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts are happening. And by this time now, I'm on staff in the church. I'm the youth pastor, uh, senior in college. And uh, uh, actually, Kathleen, it was a little bit after my, I graduated from Bible college. Kathleen and I had gotten married and got pa- called into the pastor's office. He said, hey, uh, I want to ask you about the Holy Spirit. And I'm going, uh-oh. And I had my Bible with me and he asked me a few things. And before I left that meeting, he says, you're fired, and you can never come back in this church again. So, and my wife had been born in that church, so I was going, oh boy, I'm in trouble now. Um, No, but it it was a challenging time, but it was a very freeing time in our lives as well. Because I, uh, I would honestly say that it's worth all of the struggle, you know, when we allow our lives to be led and filled with the Holy Spirit. We've got to know it's not just so we can stay comfortable. There's going to be times, there's going to be choices, there's going to be things that God will lead us into for our good and to shape us into His image. And because He loves us so much, and uh, that is what happened. That's a little bit of my story. I wanted to share that with you, though, and I want to remind you that I really loved God at the very beginning. I was a Christian. I read my Bible a lot. I attended church very regularly. I prayed, I shared my faith, I did all of these things, and yet for many years in my Christian experience, I missed out on this power, I missed out on this other element, it was just not a part of my life. So this morning, what we want to do is I want to share with you three simple truths about our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Three simple truths about our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Number one, Living an intimate daily relationship with God's Spirit is essential and not optional for our lives. You hear that? Living in a dependent relationship with the Holy Spirit of God, not just God, 
but with the Holy Spirit of God is essential for us. It's vital for us. We can't see it as an option. How many of you like hot fudge sundaes? Show of hands. Okay. How many of you like hot fudge sundaes with the nuts? With nuts on it. How many of you like hot fudge sundaes without nuts? I'm a no nuts kind of guy, you know, for whatever reason. I, I don't like the nuts on my hot fudge sundae, you know, and uh, some of us might have real reasons for doing it. Some of us might be allergic to nuts. Some of you might just go, oh, you know, if you eat nuts, you're going to get nuts in your teeth, and then you look really funny when you smile. There may be goofy reasons like that, but I want to tell you that's how I thought about the Holy Spirit before I came into a personal relationship with him. That was kind of one of these option things that I didn't want to have anything to do with. And I want to just tell you, life in the Holy Spirit and relationship with the Holy Spirit is not an optional topping, but rather it's an essential ingredient to our Christian walk, to our Christian life, being in relationship with Him. I want us to look at our mission statement again. And our mission statement in those center areas where it's really the how-tos, how we're going to do this, If you think about what we talked about last month, Travis talked to us about being obedient to the Word of God and living lives obedient to the Word of God and how how we should be striving to be authentic in our, our relationships and before the Lord and how that would lead us to also step out in faith and take risks. In a few weeks, I won't give you an exact date, but somewhere down the road, we're going to be talking about the mission of God being people that are devoted to the mission of God, seeing the kingdom of God extended and built in our neighborhoods, in other communities, in the world. But you know what? This very center part, being surrendered to the Spirit of God, neither one of those other outside ones can happen without being surrendered to the Spirit of God. You can't be obedient to the Word of God without the Spirit of God. You can't be devoted to the mission of God without the Spirit of God. You know how I can tell you that for sure? Because Jesus said it. That's why. Jesus said it. You know, as those disciples were gathered after the resurrection, they're gathered, and now they've seen a risen Savior that has laid it all out to Him, and they're going, okay, we get it. This is the real deal. We saw that guy die on a cross. He's standing here barbecuing fish with us. This is the real deal and now he's saying to us, he's breathing on me, saying, you've got a mission to carry. But before he rises to heaven, he says, don't you dare. Don't you dare take one step into that mission. Don't you dare try to live this life out in obedience without waiting for the promise that my Father's going to send, the Holy Spirit. Remember, that's what it says. Acts chapter 1, the end of the Gospels too. Acts chapter 1, don't leave. Do not leave. Do not do anything until you receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. Because all the other stuff would just be dead works. And they'd get tired, and they would finally give up. So being surrendered to the Holy Spirit is absolutely critical for any of the rest of this stuff to happen. It will not happen without us being surrendered to the Holy Spirit. So it's not an option. It's essential for us. It's essential for us. I want to also say that it's normal. You know, that was one of my struggles. I, before I came into a relationship with the Holy Spirit, I used to think that it was pretty abnormal, people that were filled with the Spirit and people that were looking to be surrendered to the Spirit. And I thought I was normal. 
you know, isn't that what we always do? We use ourselves as, you know, we're kind of a litmus for what is normal. And I've learned not to do that anymore. Um, but I want to tell you that living surrendered to the Holy Spirit and yield to the Holy Spirit is normal Christianity. When you read this Bible, it's abnormal to think of doing anything else. It absolutely seems ridiculous when you read this Bible to think about following Jesus without the partnership and involvement of the Holy Spirit in our lives daily. If Jesus needed it, which he did and thrived on, how do we think that we can ever do without it? So he invites us in. So it's not an option. It's an essential part of our lives. We need him in our lives. Point number two, learning to walk with and surrender to the Holy Spirit is also intentional and deliberate. It doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen automatically to find yourself filled with and being led by the Holy Spirit. Remember my story? I had accepted Christ. I went to church a lot. I read my Bible. Prayed. Fasted. Did stuff. And it was not an automatic thing in my life. Your relationship with the Holy Spirit and my relationship with the Holy Spirit is intentionally developed. It's something that we will do deliberately to build a relationship. Just like you don't happen to accidentally become friends with someone, you might meet them accidentally, but if you become friends, it's because you do something deliberately. You build a relationship. It's the same thing with the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Now, some things are automatic, and this is where sometimes it gets a little confusing about the Holy Spirit. And I just want to refer to Romans chapter 8. Romans, uh whole book of Romans is awesome, but Romans chapter 8, there's a neat passage where it's talking about how to live in the Holy Spirit. And starting in verse 9, it says that you are not controlled or led by your sinful nature if the Spirit of God lives in you. It just means your sinful nature and my sinful nature as believers we are not bound to live under that sinful nature being in charge of our lives. But then it throws in this interesting phrase. So you know that the Roman Christians are wrestling with some of these things. It says, if the Spirit of Christ lives in you, you're not bound by that sinful nature. But if anyone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, meaning there's probably somebody going, well, I don't know if I have the Spirit then, you know, because I still got this sinful nature. I must not have the Spirit. He says this very simple thing. He says, if anyone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ... He doesn't belong to Christ. If you belong to Christ, you have the Spirit of God living in you. It's an awesome thing to know that this is an automatic. There is one of the automatics here. When you accept Jesus into your life, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. Period. All of the Holy Spirit. Not a couple of ounces of Him. And as you go to church a while, you get a few more ounces of Him. And then eventually, when you really get hungry for God, you get the big gulp. Okay, that's not the way it is. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person of the Trinity, the person of God. So he's not giving out announces, and, but it's okay to say more, Lord. I'm, I'm always saying more, but I'm recognizing when I'm saying more, I'm not saying, oh, give me a couple more ounces of the Holy Spirit. I'm saying, Lord, I want more of you and less of me. We've got all of the Holy Spirit living in us that we're ever going to have when we accept Christ. Now, what does change is how much of the Holy Spirit how much of my life the Holy Spirit has a hold of. The more of my life he has a hold of, the more I experience of him.
But one of the automatics that is very important for us as a church family as we talk about living surrendered lives is that when we accept Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. He comes to live there. He comes to dwell there. He's not taken off. He's not living. It is automatic that the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. But it's not automatic that we are filled or surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5, 17 and 18, you, many of you have read this before. But it says, it starts off this way, which is always fun when the scriptures say this. Don't be stupid, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That's how it starts off. <laughs> Don't be stupid, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And this is it. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, some people think that, see, there it is. That tells you right in the New Testament. Don't be drunk with wine. That's not what that's talking about. What that verse is there for is not at all talking about wine or alcoholic beverages or really being drunk. It's using a very simple picture. Don't be stupid, but hear what the will of the Lord is. It's that you would not be drunk with wine, which is yielding control of your body and your, your person to an inside agent, wine, but rather be drunk or filled with the Holy Spirit, which is yielding control of who you are as a person to another inside agent, the Holy Spirit. So that's what it's talking about. It's really, it's not a teaching about drinking. It's a teaching about the Holy Spirit, drinking of him. It says, so hear this, this is the will of God, that you wouldn't be filled to overflowing with wine or anything else, but rather you'd be filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. And then it says, then speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody, wives submitting to husbands, husbands loving your wives. It goes on and talks about what a spirit-filled life looks like. A spirit-led life looks like this. And this is what he comes to accomplish in us. The beauty of it is that we are called and commanded to this. It's not automatic. It's a command. It's be filled with the Holy Spirit. And in the Greek, in the Greek New Testament, it actually is a continuing present verb, which means keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. It means be filled day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment, step by step. Be filled to the, with the Holy Spirit. Be yielded to. Be surrendered to the Holy Spirit of God. It's not something that's going to happen one time and last forever. When it happens one time for me, it might last 10 minutes before I need to stop and say, ah, oh, God, I need to surrender this. You know, I'm trying to take charge. I got this attitude creeping in. It means keep being surrendered. Keep being yielded to the Holy Spirit. So learning to walk and surrender to the Holy Spirit is intentional. It's deliberate. It's not automatic. It's what we choose. Third point, living surrendered and yielded to God's Spirit is a progressive and growing experience. It's a progressive and growing experience. Ultimately, in our lives, we have a difficult time surrendering and yielding to someone that we don't know very well. You know, if you just meet somebody for the first time and you're kind of on this kind of relationship, like, hey, how you doing? Let's have a pound. I, good to meet you. If that's our relationship with them, we're probably not going to say, hey, man, I'm, I'm ready to yield and surrender to you. What do you want to do in my life? And for me... And back in my early years, I was in a pretty tight relationship with the Father. I loved the Father, would pray to Him. I loved Jesus, would pray to Him. But I was the pound with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> it was like, okay, I know He's part of the Godhead, but I don't get it. And so there was not any closeness. I wasn't praying for the Holy Spirit. I was not loving the Holy Spirit of God. And if that even sounds unfamiliar to you, then we have some room to stretch and grow. 
Because you know what? Jesus loves His Spirit. The Father loves His Spirit. He wants us to embrace His Spirit just like we embrace Jesus, just like we embrace the Father. He wants that kind of a love relationship. And the awesome thing about this, when we talk about living a surrendered life to the Holy Spirit, it's progressive. It's growing. We're meant to learn how to yield and surrender our lives to God in a gradual way as we open our lives to Him, one bit at a time as we receive Him and walk in Him. There's a really cool vision in Ezekiel 47, and I'm just going to share it with you. You guys can turn there and read it sometime. But Ezekiel back there in, the, in what we call the major prophets, here's a little tip for the day, major prophets, that's Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel and Daniel, those five books, they're called major prophets because they're a little bit longer. Don't think they're ma- more major and like take the yellow highlighters and say, boy, these are really more important. Some theologians say that. I have a really hard time saying, boy, that's really important truth in the Bible, and this is really less important truth in the Bible. There's major prophets, those five. Then there's minor prophets, everything from Hosea to Malachi. It's the 12 smaller prophetic writings. Those are the minor prophets. Ezekiel 47, there is an awesome, it's almost the last chapter of that book, there's an awesome picture that God gives to Ezekiel. Ezekiel's standing and looking, and he sees the temple of God. And he sees the altar in the temple. And out from the altar, right underneath this altar, this river starts flowing out. And it says that the river came out from the temple. It got bigger and bigger and bigger. And as this river is going out, it says everything of life was in that river. Every fish you could imagine is in that river. And on either side of the riverbanks, trees started sprouting and coming up. And fruit was popping everywhere. And the trees never lost their fruit and never lost their leaves. And it was fruitful. It was full of life. And the leaves could be used for healing. People would be healed by just taking the leaves off of these trees. And that river represents the Spirit of God. Jesus refers in John, says, If any man's thirsty, let him come to me, and I will give him to drink of this river that's going to come out from him that is the Spirit of God. That's a common uh, uh, symbolism of the Holy Spirit. But it's interesting what happens in this Ezekiel vision. There's this beautiful river coming out that represents the Holy Spirit. And then the man in the vision says to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, come, put your feet in the water. So Ezekiel walks down and sticks his feet in the water, and he's standing there. And then it says the man walked about a 1,000 foot further down the river. And he says, come on, Ezekiel. And so Ezekiel walks further down the river, and now he says it's knee-deep. And then he says, come on down here, about a 1,000 foot further down the river. So Ezekiel walks down, and he says, it's waist-deep. And then the man goes another thousand foot down the river and he says, Ezekiel, come on down here. And it says, then I went down there and realized it was up to my chest. I could no longer stand and the river was carrying me. And what I, I think it's a beautiful picture of exactly what God's calling us to as a church family. He's saying, wherever you are at in your relationship with the Holy Spirit, take a step deeper. Step, step, a, step further. Ultimately, God's goal is that each of us would be in a place where we are really being carried by the river of God. That our lives are completely surrendered. But you know what? If I'm standing on the bank today, how, God, how far God's wanting me to step is right here till it's ankle deep. He says, come on. You can trust me. Step into my spirit right here, ankle deep. You know, I love the, the, the commercial of the Nestle Plunge, but most of us aren't that way. I'm not that way. I'm ready to walk into things. When I go to the ocean nowadays, I walk into it slowly. Most of us don't just leap out into things. 
But the invitation of God is just, come on, would you step into me? Take a step further. This whole thing about being surrendered and submitted to the Spirit of God, it's a beautiful picture and God is inviting us. He says, will you embrace? Will you receive? Will you welcome my Holy Spirit? Now I want to tie these two things together and worship team, if you guys could come up here, that I talked about when I said the Holy Spirit comes to live in us and then I use terms like receiving the Holy Spirit. So how does that fit together? Well, it's kind of like this. If this stage is my home, welcome to my home. If this stage is my home, when I come to the place where I hear Jesus knocking on my life saying, Mark, it's time. And I say, Jesus, I'm caught. I open my life to you. Guess what happens? When I, when that, when I say that, the Holy Spirit comes right inside the front door of my house and stands there. And for about six years in my Christian life, I lived the rest of my life. I went in and out of the house. I occupied all the areas of my house. But the Holy Spirit was still on that doorstep. That was it. Because I was just pound relationship with him. You know, I didn't really know him. And so I was looking to carry relationship with Jesus and the Father until that six-month spiritual storm happened where things began to shift. And I realized what the Scripture said and said, Ah, oh, Receive the Holy Spirit. So I went to the front door of my life, and their Holy Spirit was already in my house, already living there, and I wrapped my arms around him. And I said, welcome. You're welcome in my life. I receive you into my life. Come, let me show you. Here's the living room. I, this is where I live. Here's my bedroom, and here's this and that. And then he says, what's behind that closed door over there? Uh, don't worry about that right now. How many of you know the Holy Spirit comes to really touch us and love us where we need to be loved he knows the things that hold us back and he comes to set us free that's what it is to have the holy spirit already live in you but then to come to a place where you finally say i need to receive and welcome him into my life and we want to have the opportunity as a church family as we talk about being surrendered to the spirit of god what a great opportunity for us to be on the same page regarding the holy spirit so whether you are one of those that has been swimming in the Spirit for years, or you're one of those like me where you kind of have been really unclear and unsure, God's inviting us, each of us, to take a step further into Him. To receive, to welcome Him into our lives. And to say, Holy Spirit, we want to embrace You. And we want to do that not only individually, but we want to make the choice to do that corporately. Corporately, we want to embrace You. Would you stand with me? And I want to invite you, as we have this opportunity together, as a family to grow together, I want to invite you to receive the Holy Spirit in your life. Go to the front door of your life and receive Him. And if it feels awkward to say you wrap your arms around Him, it's all right. Do the handshake. Do whatever it is. But go and welcome Him. Receive Him. Say, Holy Spirit, you are welcome in my life. You are welcome here. I open my life to you. I want you to have your way. I want you to have your rule in me. And let's do that as a church family. Let's have a culture together as a church family where we say we are welcoming and receiving the Holy Spirit. Thank you, God. Thanks for listening. We want to be a resource for you as you walk with Jesus. So please connect with us at radiantvicelia.com.
Until next time. I